0: now monumental sports and entertainment along with Pressbox, presents stan the fans bat around for the next two hours listen in as stan and craig heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors feel free to tweet your questions to stan at stan the fan now sit back and enjoy the bat around guys take it away and not
1: only have we hit the airwaves i have been able to multitask this week i've hit the airwaves and <laughs> shared and shared the program on facebook uh, the press box Facebook page. By the way, if you do <laughs> Internet one oh one for those of you who <laughs> thank you, Craig and yeah, He always always says the most uplifting and <laughs> confidence building, confidence inspiring things. Uh, way to go on uh, Internet one oh one there. Right, exactly. All right. Anyway, we are uh, up and running on this Saturday, the eighth of July, a day that will be the day after the <laughs> day of ignominy. Uh, with the Orioles losing their fifth straight game on this on this road trip. The um, the road trip started wait a minute did it start in Milwaukee? Did we play Tampa last weekend? We played Tampa last weekend. So it's a it's, it's a seven it's a game game seven game road trip right, right before the all star right. break, which I predicted the Orioles were gonna really tank. And so far they now lost who's five. positive well, right. I'm positive about one right. thing that the Orioles have tanked. Uh, anyway, we hit the airways the Orioles last night, Craig. I know you were at the Nats game, but I know you have uh, you're able to more than multitask. You can Indeed. triple task. Um, you can tell which way the weatherman. Uh, you know, I can tell which you way the wind I, blows. I can tell you the weather and how it doesn't get to DC right. when
2: people think it's going to get to DC. Uh, no, I have, a, uh, I have a great spot in the press box right. at, at Nats Park. because.
1: Do you get up there, though, I with your Sherpa th- guide? Does your Sherpa guide escort you up there? Well,
2: actually, when you go to the to the press box at Nats Park, right. it's the old John Panette line. You, you yell, Ricola! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, but I have a TV right in front of me, so I'm able to watch, uh, obviously, cover the game I'm covering and also keep an eye on the Orioles.
1: All right. Well, anyway, the Orioles last night, you were watching it. Kevin Gosman, who had come into the game, I think with uh, was it 16 and, and two thirds shutout innings, Shut com- innings yep. coming in, and he gets through the first three innings last night. Actually, I think he started with 12 and two thirds last night. Right, and he wound and up right. with 15 and two thirds. Anyway, he he get, goes through the first three innings, looks like a world beater, and also his pitch count, which is uncharacteristic for him was it like 33 to 35 after three innings. Mm-hmm. He had the first inning was an 11-pitch inning. The third pitch was an 11-pitch inning. Fourth inning, in all fairness to him, things he got some bad breaks there with the infield hit by Sano, the infield hit by Kepler. Um, but 44 pitches in a big league inning by a starter that you're counting on to be one of your best. I
2: saw somebody throw 40 last week uh, in the first inning. So I mean, it, it it happens. Doesn't happen often, but it yeah. can happen.
1: Forty four innings and and forty four pitches. So, forty four pitches. Um, let's not go through forty four innings. Um, <laughs> forty four pitches in that third inning, fourth inning, and I thought that while Tom Davis and Rick Dempsey were dwelling on the fifth, where the Orioles ended up giving up five runs to and let, the lead and yeah. the lead, uh, I thought it was the fourth inning that just exhausted Kevin Gosman both mentally and physically
2: probably and uh you, you know what makes this loss to me even more difficult to swallow is the fact that if some of the things in the fourth inning doesn't happen he probably gives up a run or so yeah. and and he minimizes the damage but this is a night where you get off to a 6 nothing lead Manny Machado who has been dreadful this year offensively hits two home runs, one of them a three-run shot, and you can't win that game. You can't seal that deal against a guy who uh, all indications was everybody had the Orioles winning this game last night. Especially now,
1: he, when they were up 6-0.
2: Exactly. So it goes from bad to worse. And uh, you're, you're looked at the prospect of now, To you know, today baseball being the kind of game it is, kind of weird, funky, anything can happen. Uh it could be the reverse lock today for Wade Miley.
1: Who knows? Explain one thing to me. And, again, I'm not an old-school uh, old guy on this. The players, no, you old. No, the players have, have negotiated in good faith to, to get the paternity leave. Mm-hmm. The paternity leave for the Or is it maternity leave? It's paternity, paternity leave. Paternity leave for the father. They get three days. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Again, I'm all sympathetic. It's the Tillman's first child. How can the ball club not get Tillman out there or move, move Jimenez and, and admit, well, it's going to be a little bit of a short start, maybe four innings, anything to avoid starting Wade Miley? I don't understand how the team doesn't reconfigure itself to avoid that right well, now. Well, there is that, but the other part of
2: it is you're, you're, you're sitting here now with this ball club and you're saying to yourself, well, is there any way to get Obaldo in there, even though it might be a short start for four innings? Well, you're saying the same thing about Wade Miley, when, or, or not starting him at all. So, I mean, I mean it's like pick your poison with this team of which starting pitcher you want to see suck the most because that's what it's boiled down to at this point. Well, You, I, score, I think... you score six runs, and you don't pitch. You yeah. give up nine. The other night they scored four, they gave up six. I, I mean it's anyway, it's
1: you chided me you chided me about uh, Internet one oh one. Yeah. Baseball one oh one. The Orioles lose that lead in the fifth inning. Mm-hmm. Now they're up in the top of the sixth. Mancini gets the infield hit <laughs> excuse me, and then who gets uh, Kim gets the single. He got first and second, nobody out. God love them. Nobody's God, bunting them over, huh? God, God love him. I love Caleb Joseph, okay, and I love for the most part the way he thinks and the way he plays the game. With Tejada up next, you've got to, st- in my opinion, you've got to say, I'm the guy here, not let me pass the buck. And and First of all, playing for one run in the sixth inning in a game that looked like it had a chance to be 11-10 to 10 or whatever. I know the Orioles didn't score, but – I'm just not putting the 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 lead in the, or tying the game back up in the hands of Ruben Tejada. Well,
2: you, you know, it, it's a bad thing because I heard Buck say uh, maybe about two weeks ago when the Orioles failed to score and they had the lower end of the order up, and he just says, you know, we had our chances, wrong end of the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to to a large degree that plays true, but it it, it boils down to a bigger thing for me. For all of you folks out there who want to bash this team in terms of Chris Davis uh, and, and, and the approaches, J.J. Hardy. Hardy and the approaches, you now are feeling the brunt of why this team misses these guys yeah. so much. J.J. Hardy is, is the glue to that infield. Glue.
1: Yeah, he really is. And
2: everybody around him plays much better when J.J. Hardy is at shortstop. Does he have the range that he used to have? No. Can he, but, but he does position himself very well to be able to make plays in the infield, and he is the glue fundamentally uh, for that infield and, and because the infield defense has not been nowhere near yeah. what it was when Hardy was in there.
1: No question about it, and, and listen – Mancini's got a chance to be a perfectly adequate first baseman given time. If that was the position he's going to
2: play. A, and he's got a chance to be a damn good baseball player. There's no question about overall that. Overall between, you know, because everybody said, all the scouts said, even before he got up here, about a year and a half before, this kid's bat was major league ready. But now we're seeing some flaws, at, you know, sometimes at first base. His, His natural position.
1: Right. But his biggest flaw, and I'm telling you, I played first base as a little leaguer, mm -hmm. and I learned from Eddie Wakas at Ted Williams Baseball Camp. What Trey Mancini does, nobody's taught him this, is you need to not commit which leg and what position you're going to have on your foot on the bag until you absolutely have to. And that is creating space with your footwork to be able to go get that throw in a better position than having it locked in. Or maybe having your legs crossed. He's, 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 yeah. he's, it's a spatial thing, and you have to understand how to uh, what, straddle the bag and commit at the last second, and you create more space to yourself. What happened on that play, which caused Mancini to drop the ball, was he had committed, and now the ball's in, and Sano Ceno kind of hits him a little bit and it's because he didn't create the space and go get the ball because he had committed his foot space.
2: Right, and that that play winds up being an error. And it it should be an error. Right, and it absolutely cost the Orioles. So, Uh, again, I I think it's his natural position. Uh, I've seen him make some plays on homestands here recently. Yeah, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine fine
1: if that were the position.
2: Right, but, I mean, you get these people – online and on Facebook and on Twitter yelling and screaming about, well, you know, Trey Mancini should just stay at first base and they should get rid of Chris Davis. Well, I'm telling you what, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen.
1: Now, the one player that, to me, and again, in fairness to the Orioles, you didn't know that Mancini was going to be ready to, to really be out there every day. Right. Uh, now I know in 2018 – I'd be pretty comfortable with Trey Mancini as a DH left fielder.
2: Okay? No question about okay. it. Okay, and, and a,
1: and a once-in-a-while first baseman. But the the guy, to me, who's extraneous on this team because they've got to get better athletically and is, is Trumbo. Do you think you can get anything for Trumbo? Do you think there are teams out there, if the Orioles picked up a little bit of the money and turned that into a – Ten million dollar instead of thirteen million dollar. You think there's a couple teams that might give you a decent prospect for him? Yeah,
2: of course. I mean, he's a he's a proven bat number one and can hit for power, and he's having a down year this year. But who isn't on this team? So yeah, you could certainly get something something for Trumbo, and and at this point going forward, the last two months, who knows if a change of scenery doesn't help him? Yeah, you you know, because I know I know he's frustrated. I know they're all frustrated. All you got to do is talk to him. After a game, and uh, it's it's really hard right now. I know for Buck Showalter to be watching this kind of baseball out of this team with basically the same guys and philosophy that have been successful over the last five years. Now you can criticize the organization all you want about well, they did nothing to you know to, to improve the starting pitching. Well, that's very true. But the other part of that is this is the same basic starting pitching that we've been hemming and hawing about for the last five years. That they haven't done anything about, but for the most part, other than two years out of five, uh, they wind up
1: going to a to a playoff appearance. Do you remember? I'm just curious. A friend of mine re- remembers. We remember to this day when the Musina got away to the Yankees. Yeah. Peter Angelos going on with Steve Molesky oh, and yeah. saying 70 million is more than enough for Musina. You know, and the Yankees gave him eighty-five million, 80, 80, and the Orioles were eighty-eight point
2: six, and the, the Orioles
1: were pretty damn close to that at the very end. Well,
2: yeah, but in the end, in the end, Mike was told by the Yankees, "Yes, yeah, you,
1: right. you either take this offer or, or it's, it's off, off the, the table." table. Right. right, you
2: can't go back and negotiate with the Orioles because I, I really, truly believe to this day, that Mike if wanted Mike, to stay in Orioles. Mike Oriole. had his druthers, he would have stayed in Oriole. yeah, had the, had the Orioles. But it, it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. But in fairness to him. And I think he realized this, especially once he got up there, that he, he knew that that was the only way with the current state of the Orioles at that time, that was the only way he had a chance to, to
1: get to a World Series. So here's the question. I remember Angelo saying that, you know, $70 million is more than enough for Mussina. Right. He remembers, my friend remembers, something to the effect like that's more than enough for, for a player that plays every fifth day.
2: I remember that, yeah. Yeah,
1: so that is basically the philosophy that this organization, to this day, is still run by. You know, people want to criticize Dan Duquette for Jimenez and Gallardo and Miley. Those are the kind of expenditures for starting pitching that I think ownership will allow. And, you know, to their detriment, that's that's true. Uh, Whereas the Nats turn around and go get Max Scherzer – they make a trade for a Gio Gonzalez when they know he's going to make big money. Right? They they draft and and pay Well, they Strasburg draft big money. They draft and they develop their
2: yeah. pitchers and there's a few Eric Fetti down in the minor leagues yeah. right now. He'll be the next one that you see up here and there's two probably two others that have high ceiling in terms of when they get up here, they're going to help this team.
1: You know, it's funny, though, that big trade that we were at the winter baseball meetings at National Harbor, mm-hmm. that really hasn't done much for either team in 2017. Eaton gets hurt very early, uh, looked mm-hmm. to be the player that the Nats thought he was, but those pitchers have not, uh, uh, what, Gialito. And, Gialito and Reyes, Reyes yeah. uh, have not materialized. And they're not on the major league club with yep. the White Sox, right. Yeah.
2: Uh, Even though Giolito did throw a no hitter for seven innings and a doubleheader. That's right. About so, a month ago. About yeah, four about a or month, five yeah. weeks ago. At the
1: minor leagues. Uh, let's uh, let you know what we've got on the show today. Uh, so let's uh, get to that. Steve Molesky of Massensports.com is going to join us. We'll talk about the Orioles, what he thinks they can do, uh, what their aims might be as we approach the trade deadline. Uh, will the Orioles. For the first time that I can remember, under Peter Angelos, be try to be sellers. Uh, they very rarely like to give up big time assets. By the way, uh, and again, I'm not talking out both sides of my mouth about Peter Angelos. You know, Mark Shapiro, who everybody knows is a pretty smart baseball mm-hmm. man, he verbalized yesterday the exact mantra that the Orioles do. That the you know. Everybody, all our fans want us to tra- – or not all our fans. There's a lot of push for us now to trade our our best players. Up there, it's probably, oh, you should get rid of Donaldson, get rid of Morales, get rid of Smoke and Tulowitzki mm-hmm. and all that. And he basically said he thought that that would be very disruptive to the organization, and he said the fans deserve better than that. Mm-hmm. Meaning that sometimes – you got to weather a storm, sometimes, take a bad season, and that's the way the game. Yeah. That's the way the game
2: works. No matter yeah. what kind of a team you put on paper, sometimes it just doesn't work for yeah. you. And it's kind of like
1: a, a, a radio show you do every Saturday morning. Yeah, like with the instance, same lousy co-host.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And uh, when that happens, you know the co-host has a choice. He can either say to hell with it and walk out the door. <laughs> <laughs> or or stick around and take a paycheck. <laughs> uh, but, but you're you're absolutely right, and I mean if if you're coming into this year, and certainly when they're 22 and 10, nobody's thinking that, right? You know, so I mean it just it went south, and All right. and basically because they don't
1: pitch. Joining us in just a second will be Steve Molesky of MassinSports.com. Just wanted to give you the rest of the show. About 10.45, John Eisenberg, who's written the book The Streak, Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken, and the Pursuit of Baseball's Most Historic Record. Uh, We're going to have Ben Badler on from Baseball America, who's had some choice comments about the Orioles' decision not to go into the international market. And then we'll end with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com to talk a little nationally. Eisenberg
2: wrote the book. Ray Stevens sang the song. Okay. The Streak. All right.
1: Joining us right now is a good friend, and he's suffering like all of us, Steve Molesky of MadisonSports.com. Steve, uh, what do you make of the latest uh, situation we face right now after last night?
3: I mean, it's just been an extended stretch of bad baseball. And, you know, when you lead 6 to nothing, goes without saying that you shouldn't lose that game. But they did, so, <clears throat> I mean, it looked like a team that really needs the all-star break and, I'm not sure if that can can save it right now. It um, you know it's obvious that the fans are losing hope, and the team isn't really providing them with much at this point.
1: Uh, my question about today's game, uh, and I've not been one of these people that pisses and moans about players taking off for paternity leave. It's a it's a right that they've negotiated and bargained for, and I think it's a good thing, but. Wasn't there some way to get Chris Tillman back on his fourth day to get him to start ahead of Wade Miley today, the way Miley's been pitching?
3: I'm sure there was, Dan, but, I mean, Chris Tillman isn't his ERA like seven. <laughs> no, I understand I
1: mean, that, but he's, but his last start gave Well, let me, me put some...
3: you this way. If his, if his stats mirrored last year, yeah, he would be pitching today, and yeah. they, they would have figured out a way, yes. But, you know, maybe that, that's another thing they're looking at that – better to give Tillman a few a extra breaths now too but okay. they just don't have anybody going well so it's not like they say well we'll, we'll turn to this guy yeah. and uh if they're to have any chance to make a move Miley needs to pitch better too so I mean
4: yeah
3: it's just that they're choosing between two bad options at this point
2: well and that's why I just said to Stan I said you know you know, even if you bring a Baldo in and, and it's nothing more than a four-inning start because of short rest, I mean, you're picking the lesser of two evils in terms of pitching poorly. And, uh, you know, Steve, to me, you would think there would be one guy who would be eligible, I mean, able to, you know, grab the bull by the horns and at least give you a solid outing. And they're not getting anything from anybody. So when it goes bad, it's gone bad all at once. And for a lot of people... Not just pitching-wise, but also, you know, I know they put up six last night, but for the most part, this offense hasn't been what we've been expecting this year.
3: Uh, it's, it's very true. I mean, you can, you can pull about 15 names off the active roster right now and yeah. say they're not doing what we thought. And we were not asking them to be all-stars. We were asking them to play the track records and put up similar numbers to last year. And it's just a long list of pitchers and hitters who aren't doing that. And so the question gets asked, are they capable of a good run? Yeah, they're capable of it. But this is a lot of the same guys who won 89 games last year and did make the postseason um, and, and were in the extra, extra innings trying to get to the next round and lost. It's a lot of those same guys. And, but this year it's not some of the same results, obviously.
1: We're talking with Steve Molesky of MassInsports.com. Steve, uh, we can we can beat up uh, all the starting pitchers, save Dylan Bundy for a second, uh, and, and we've seen the results. Dylan Bundy was what we thought he was going to be for the first, say, nine or ten starts. His last five or six starts, the ERA first had crept. At the beginning of May, it was 189. The end of May, it was 2.89, and now we're in July, and it's 4.4. Is it just as simple as maybe he is fatigued somewhat, having not built up to be ready to throw 170 innings? I mean, he's at his he's at his number from last year already.
3: Right, and that was going to be a problem all along. Yes, and I mean, I, I don't know if the team didn't publicly want to say too much about it except buck would say there's no scientific evidence on these pitch limits and all that but you just have to look at it just just look at the kid's record and the innings he's pitched over the minors and the majors the last few years and it's not a lot and so last year he got pushed pretty hard and we saw him uh, have some issues late in the year and we're seeing him have some issues late in the first half and i think they're the same issues yep. i think he is being pushed pretty hard, and he's he has never pitched a triple-A. He's barely pitched a double-A. And so I do think if we step back and grade Dylan Bundy, we wanted, number one, this kid to finally get healthy, and he has, and number two, for him to pitch like a top-of-rotation pitcher, and he has. But it's getting away from him a little bit now, and I think it's mainly due to, yes, there's some fatigue here that is showing up not in velocity readings but in command. Yeah which isn't quite what it was.
2: Good point. And, you know, when I when I look at Dylan start from the other night, it was one of those situations where you, you know when he's throwing a ball well, he, he's hitting his spots, but he's also, you know, it's always on the lower half of the strike zone, and that just didn't occur the other night. And that's one of the clear signs for me, Steve. I don't know about you, but – I mean when when he's struggling he's kind of missing where he's normally throwing the baseball uh, to get people out and he wasn't doing that the other night and I think there's a certain amount of frustration that kind of sets sets in with Dylan when that doesn't happen and obviously it's all part of the learning curve uh, how do you see that
3: Well I mean this this is an exceptionally smart kid and I and I think you you his future is bright cuz he's got He's got the quality pitches. He's got several secondary pitches that he can command, and he knows how to use them. You've seen him from start to start against a certain team, go heavy slider, it's working. Against another team, the changeup is more. Against another team, the curveball comes into play more. I mean, he really uses what he needs on a given night. He pitches up and down in the zone, in and out, and mostly with good command. And you you call it it, Craig. I mean, the other night, everything was up. Uh, way much more than, and I could see it from the first pitch. I mean, we could have a game blog where we kind of interact with the fans in the game. I said it. This kid's got to bring the ball down, and I knew something was coming that wouldn't be good. But I'm I'm telling you, his long-range future, I'm still a big believer in Bundy, and he just needs to build up innings, and it, it, it takes years, unfortunately. Fans don't want to hear that. But when you've gone two or three years on the farm and hardly thrown any innings, It it takes years to get to where you're a 200-inning guy, and he's supremely conditioned. So this fatigue that his arm and shoulder are feeling, which can't be helped, it happens when you throw a lot of innings, it's going to eventually go away. And he's going to be a kid who's an innings eater, and he's going to be good for six months, not three. And he's going to be good again this year, too. He's getting 11 days before his next start. And I just think his arm, elbow, and shoulder will benefit from that.
1: Yeah. We're talking with Steve Molesky of massinsports.com. Steve, uh, uh, you know, you look around the lineup and the starting pitching, and you see a bunch of underachieving players right now, and nobody wants to be an underachiever. But two guys that we might have poked a little bit at were J.J. Hardy for some of his early season defensive uh, woes, you know, the couple – of times on pop-ups that he had trouble a couple plays here and there and Chris Davis's offense but boy don't they miss the defense of those two guys
3: yeah they do they do I mean they're leaders on the field defensively and uh Hardy still gets to a lot of balls and he doesn't have the range of others and he probably never did but it's less now as he's gotten older but this is just a rock solid guy he's kind of like, he and Yanish, I mean, they have less range than other shortstops, but they make up for it that they catch everything, and they all, almost always make the right play. And they're just sure-handed, and it's important to have that at that position. And So Hardy is – I think Scope and Manny miss, just miss Hardy being out there. It's like their big brother, you know, is, is not there, and he's all, always has been. So uh, they'll happily get him back when they can.
2: Steve, let me ask you something real quick about the minor league since you do such a great job with that uh, for, for the site as well. And that's, and uh, I'm going to try to get to see him over the All Star break because uh, I'm heading down to the Eastern Shore. I'm going to go see Preston Palmero play. Uh, 11 homers, 48 RBI, and he's hitting, uh, you know, about 260. Uh, what are you hearing from people in the organization about Preston?
3: I'll be honest to say I haven't asked too much about him recently, but I've noticed, too, he's had kind of a quietly, a solid season there. And, you know, he's an older guy drafted out of college, so you would hope that in his early career he would put up some numbers at Aberdeen Del Marva type affiliates. And I think the bigger challenge will be a year or two from now, if he can advance to Frederick and Bowie, how's he going to keep it going? Will some of those numbers hold true? But he's been he's been pretty solid. He got kind of off a slow start, but you know it's been pretty good for him here the last let's say four to six weeks, and well, th- kind of quietly doing a good job there.
2: Well, three twenty eight, uh, four fifty five slash line, along with a seven eighty three uh, OPS. So the numbers are favorable for him at least at this point. And I know it's low A, but uh, again, you know the the apple doesn't far fall far from the tree in that regard.
3: Well, I mean, they both have their son, and they both. I'm thinking about Ryan Ripken here and Preston Palmero. I mean, they're dealing with famous names, which bring attention to them. And Ryan Ripken actually, by the way, has put together some good games at at, uh, Aberdeen, a real slow start for him. And he's starting to do some things there, too. And I've heard some favorable things about his recent play as well.
1: Steve, uh, we are where we are right now. We're at the first 10 days uh, of July, all-star break looming, and that always means two and a half weeks before the trade deadline, that July 31st deadline. The Orioles under Peter Angelos have always sort of eschewed being sellers. I'm not one that thinks the club has any chance of really trading Britton or Machado before this deadline, do you see any, the, anything they can do where they have any attractive players other than those two that could help somebody that might bring back some young pitching?
3: Um, they could trade Wellington Castillo and turn it over to Joseph, but I, I just don't think on a, on a short contract, Wellington is going to bring back a top 100 prospect or anything. So short of trading the biggest names, the biggest names are the ones where you get the package deals. The yep. Three and four and five players. And those are the ones that can uh, over time impact your organizations. When you're trading little bits and pieces here and there, you might bring back something that might help, but I mean, you know, it's it's hard to get impact talent or something that say this is really gonna be good for us with just a few few of those deals. I think if they decided to trade the big the big dogs, the big names the ones who could bring the bigger package deals, you'd have a greater chance of help there.
1: Are you in agreement with me at this point, though, Steve? Uh, Not whether or not you would actively be trading them or not, your opinion, but your opinion whether the Orioles will go down that path. I don't see them doing it.
3: I don't think the big names are going to get traded here. I think uh, that's more, you know, first of all, the biggest names are Manny and and Britton, and both have been, uh, for different reasons, not performing to last year's level. And so that impacts it a little bit. And, you know, uh, it just it just doesn't seem like they're in a the to move, make that bit blockbuster right now. Maybe we're wrong and they'll surprise us, but it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're heading.
2: Why does this club have, and it really doesn't make any sense to me, but such a, a bugaboo about international players and, They give away all their international money for slots and things of that nature. It's just like they don't want to delve into it, and I think it just absolutely kills their farm system.
3: I wish I knew the answer to that. Um, You don't get a lot of comments made about it. I've tried to pursue some things in the past and didn't get very far with it, and so I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's disappointing to me. I've been talking about international with the Orioles since I can remember interviewing interviewing Andy McPhail on this topic 10 years ago probably. And the only player I know that they were going to throw out big dollars for internationally was Miguel Sano.
5: Mm-hmm. And
3: they were deeply in the hunt for him, and then they didn't win. They didn't get him. But I don't know of any other player where they've they've done it, and the disappointing thing I think for fans has to be They've changed the rules, the rules being now that not even the Yankees can spend what they used to. Right. Right. It used to be you might have had a $5 million budget, but you, were, you could spend $100 million. You just You just incurred financial penalties. And so teams like the Dodgers and Yankees and Red Sox did that. Well, now they can't do that. So, so basically the rules that they changed put the Orioles on an even playing field with these other teams and what they can spend. And the Orioles aren't doing it now. So that's confusing to me. And I see all the international prospects in baseball, and I think they're missing out. But I can't make them change it. And so this this is a question in various forms that I've asked and been asked about for years and years.
2: Because t- I talked to about three scouts this week down in Washington, and they all said the same thing to me. They said it's absolutely killing the Orioles in terms of their ability to compete – and put a minor league system together? Well, well
3: the, the, I mean, I think it's it's not black and white quite like that, in my opinion. And I do think they're putting some things together that are really good. I mean, we know the obvious names, Mullins and Hayes, guys like that doing really well, and Tanner Scott's going to be in the future scheme. Uh, but there are others who are quietly doing some things that are putting themselves on the radar, like Lucas Long, a right-handed pitcher at Bowie, has been pretty – Pretty amazing this year, and uh, you know, I was talking this morning with someone in the organization about a kid named Adamar Rafaela from the from Curacao. Speaking of international, who's having a really good year at age 22 at Frederick. He's coming into his own, and so there are some things going on good. Uh, they need more, and they do kind of eliminate one aspect of of a, a player acquisition if you're not going to get international. And and the, the thing that that further frustrates you is they have some international players who've done some good things, like Joe Marais was having a good year till he got hurt. Jonathan Scope is their all-star. I just mentioned Rafaelis, from Curacao. These are international acquisitions. And, and the Orioles seem to be saying that you can get good players for 100000 now, the Dominican, where these other teams are spending a million. Why, why would we do that? That seems to be what they're saying. Yeah. But right now, they seem to be trading all their money. They don't seem to be signing anyone. At least they haven't announced it. But uh, but let me just finish to say, yeah. in the past, they have signed players without announcing it. I don't know why there's this cloak of secrecy. But in the past, at times I've looked up and go, oh, there's 10 new Dominican players here. No one really said they signed them. So who, who knows exactly what all is happening right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Nationals this week sent out a separate press release to us in the media where they, they showed 27 players yeah. from the Dominican, Venezuela, you know all the countries you know we know, and they had 27 players, and I'll bet six or seven of them are real good play, you know, real good prospects. I want to ask you to turn turn to the 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 angle in this discussion, you know, like the Ravens get criticized, and I think rightly so, that they can't find receivers in developing players. You know, in drafting players, I look around the Orioles organization and I see enough, it's not oozing with position players, but I see enough position player talent. But when I was away on vacation, Steve, I had a little idle time at night and I sat there noodling around and I compared the, the other teams in our division, just the Toronto, Boston, Tampa, and New York. They're Frederick clubs, their Delmarva clubs and Bowie, excuse me, Delmarva, Frederick, and Bowie, the low A, high A, and double A. And I found, and by the way, I'm going based on their numbers this year, I found that the Boston Red Sox had 13 starting pitchers who were decent, pros, decent to very good prospects. I saw Toronto had nine. Tampa had 11 and has already traded one in the Hechevarria trade, and the Yankees had 15 names of starting pitchers that looked to me that this is a real major league prospect. I counted three, and I didn't include uh, Palufo and Tanner Scott because I don't see them as starters necessarily. The Orioles had three other names. Why do they have such a problem? Forget the international thing for a minute. Why do they have such a problem developing pitching talent? Um, I
3: I don't know. There are some people around baseball that would blame Rick Peterson, who has since left the organization, and there are people in the industry who think that Rick was trying to make everybody a cookie cutter, pitch this one way, do it this one way, throw this way, whereas we all know on a pitching staff of 12 or 13, they're individuals, and they all have different deliveries and abilities and strengths, and you can't make one approach fit all and so i've heard people in the industry think the oil future is brighter with john wasdon who they changed to who has the opposite belief of what i just said and does believe they're all individuals and you can't be a cookie cutter system and so rick's getting thrown under the bus by some i don't know if this is you know i don't know to what extent that is true or not uh because some pitchers did thrive on his yep. watch too so we're gonna to have to see, and that that the thing about development <laughs> that fans don't want to hear, but is I can't sugarcoat it. It takes time, yep. and so we're seeing, you know, there's some young pitchers. Brandon Bren, Hannafee is playing to great reviews right now at Aberdeen. Tobias Myers, these kids are off the great starts. Young pitchers who are draft picks last year, um, and so Alex Wells continuing to do well at Delmarva. But you're right, Stan. If you count, if you count those who are looking like they're taking steps forward right now there's not a long list and it's it's we can't say there is because there isn't um but I do think there'll be some good things emerge Trey Mancini was an eighth round draft pick who no one ever gave much positive pub to on the national front and so Hayes is on the come and Mountcastle's on the come and Mullins. Yep, uh, a little setback with his hammy again, but
1: and, leaving, I mean, and don't leave out Cisco. Cisco. Cisco's,
3: Cisco's on the come. You're I mean. You're looking at a potential next year for guys like Mullins and Hayes to impact this roster. And I think if they're really legit and they look like they could be, then maybe that's the direction the Orioles need to go. And it's time to get with the program and get their own players up there. And if they truly really believe, as some of their management does, that their farm is better than it's given credit for. Then let's bring the next Mancini and keep this wave coming and maybe two years from now we'll look back and go, it wasn't quite as bad as it was being portrayed.
1: All right, Steve. Thank you for coming on. Uh you know, it's it's easy to come on these shows when the team's twenty two and ten. Uh, but we appreciate your coming and answering some tough questions. All right? All right, guys, you got it. Thank you. We'll see you at the park after the break. Sounds good. See you guys. All right. Hey, Major Golf is returning to Baltimore, that's right, this Tuesday, July 11th through the 16th, the Constellation Senior Players Championship, get up close to golf's legends at prestigious Caves Valley Golf Club, visit cspgolf.com for tickets and more information. And
2: let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning uh, your family's next night out introducing the green turtle friends and family package you get four iron birds tickets for green turtle dinners and four iron birds caps for just 49.96 that's a two how much was that 49.96 that's a 208 dollar value that's what it says here you oh must okay i'll let you continue and there's pictures on this too <laughs> anyway purchase your green ticket or your green ticket your green turtle Friends and family package online today. You can visit them online, www.ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer
1: starts now. You know, Craig, that would be a good idea. Maybe that ticket should be green. That that could be, yeah. Hey, if you like great food and baseball, you have to visit my friends at the Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Ken Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best burgers and wings—it's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. What does located mean? What is lo- did did located? I say, I lo- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a green ticket. Okay, good enough. It's, yeah, okay. And very best burgers and wings—it's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. Uh, if you're listening to us at PressBoxOnline.com/slash/radio and want to watch us to see what Stan the Fan and Craig Heist look like you'd be making a very poor choice. But go to Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We'll be back with John Eisenberg, the author of The Streak, right after this.
4: Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets Four green turtle dinners and four Iron Birds caps for just forty-nine dollars and ninety-six cents. That's a two hundred and eight-dollar value for forty-nine ninety-six. Purchase your green turtle friends and family package online today by visiting IronBirdsBaseball.com. Your summer starts now.
6: The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Charlie Vassilero introduces you to Baltimore's James Mosher League, the oldest continuously operating African-American youth baseball league in the country. Plus, we look back on the remarkable dual men's and women's lacrosse national titles won by the University of Maryland. PressBox is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
7: Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health. Brick 500.
6: Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh,
4: I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps.
6: Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps.
4: I have the chaps that I have.
6: Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all
4: involved. How does that work?
6: Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com
8: slash Sports. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20 and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today.
6: A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complementary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich get the chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard in the nottingham square shopping center tell steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before august 19th because these items are available for a limited time only all right we are back
1: on the battle round on this saturday morning we appreciate your joining us uh, either Via the web at PressBoxOnline.com radio, or if you've tuned on to Facebook Live, uh, Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We appreciate wait, wait. it. When you get here, please share us.
0: Wait, isn't, isn't the PressBoxOnline.com also the web?
1: Didn't I say the internet?
0: You said the web on Facebook, but you didn't say the web on PressBox. He's got a point. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know. What See, I this said. comes at my
1: age. I don't know. Well, what this I comes said. back to Half the multitasking the yes, issue. Yes. <laughs> anyway, if you want to li- watch us, you can go to Facebook Live. If you want to listen, go to pressboxonline.com/radio. And it would help if you haven't had your breakfast yet. <laughs> All right. Joining <laughs> us right now is an old friend, both on the baseball front and the football front, and he's really an acclaimed author, and he's a good friend. It's I am John so Eisenberg. glad he's written this book because what, it saves so you can me get another free book.
2: I get another free book, but it also saves me from reading more Dallas Cowboy
1: books and Green Bay yeah, Packers. Green Bay Packers,
2: Pack, yeah, exactly. All right.
1: But jo- more more Cowboys. Joining us right now is the author of The Streak, <laughs> Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken Jr. and The Pursuit of Baseball's Most Historic Record. That is John Eisenberg. John, thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you two gentlemen this morning. <laughs> wow. Well, you really must be sucking up to us to try and sell some books. All kidding uh, no aside, doubt. what are the early reports on this book? I'm hearing it's doing really some brisk business.
9: Oh, definitely. I'm just getting going. Uh, it really helped to get a really nice full review in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that happened. and uh, It was excerpted in Sports Illustrated. That happened. I believe a review in the Washington Post is coming, uh, so some really nice mentions in some big places, and that really helps. I'm just getting going on some signings and doing a bunch of radio around the country. So, yeah, this is what you do when you bring a book out. You do all sorts of stuff, and... uh, there's a lot of books that come out. A lot of them don't get much attention, so yeah. uh, I consider I'm flattered that, uh, to get some attention. So it's a, it's, a, it's a nice thing. I don't take it for granted.
1: John, a lot of these books today that come out in the sports world, and I'm not demeaning their authors, are sort of cookie-cutter books where the publisher says, hey, let's do 100 things uh, Oriole fans should see and do before they die and all that kind of stuff. You actually came up with the idea of doing this book, rather than the publishers coming to you. How hard was was it to sell a publishing house on doing a book of this nature on the streak?
9: Not difficult at all. Yeah. Uh, the the publishers will always look at it from uh, first off. My publisher, Houghton Mifflin. Uh, I work with. Uh, I've wor- I've done four books with them, uh, all with the same editor, Susan Canavan who's uh, uh, in Boston and is a baseball lover. Just loves baseball, has done it. I could list a number of books that she's done that have been uh, uh, good sellers. Right now, the one that's out on Big Poppy right now, uh, that's that's their book. Uh, There was one on Dan Shaughnessy did with Terry Francona a couple years ago. That's their book. She does a lot of baseball. So, uh, you know, I approached her with this idea and said, look, you know, I want to do a deep dive into this record, not just these characters the record where did it come from and it's just so fascinating to me uh really in hindsight sort of the whole idea of what cal went through here and what Garrig went through and the fact that people some people you know were critical of them and it, it was just a good terrain for for storytelling and she was all in right away i mean a publisher will say you put luke eric and cal ripkin on the cover that's a good start right there so it really wasn't difficult
2: <laughs> how much of uh the is in this book about when Cal probably could have been injured and missed the game and the streak been over Which time it, the Messina I, fight? I'm talking about the Messina fight with when when with Hasselman and then Norm Charlton at that time. Well, Chris Bazio was starting well, yeah, pitcher the Yeah, but Norm Charlton at that time, they, uh, they must have broken that fight up about three different times, and each time Charles, Charlton was, Charlton the was who... right there to get it going again. And, and Cal basically, you know, he turned, twisted his knee, and a lot of people say if it wouldn't have been for the fact that the Orioles had the next day off, that streak would have been over.
9: Well, uh, yeah, that story's in there. And uh, for sure, the, the two closest calls are that story and, uh, I mean, the, the brawl. And the other one was a sprained ankle in 1985, second game of the year. Uh, they're playing the Rangers, and it was a pickoff move, and he's covering the bag in trips. And by the end of the game, his his ankle is blown up entirely. It, and uh, so, again, they had a day off. Remember, early in the year, they used to play every year an exhibition game against the Naval Academy mm. teams. And so that was the next day. So he had that day off, and then it was a night game following. So about what, you know,
1: uh, thirty six hours. hours, yeah, sixty hours, yeah,
9: okay. to, to get it ready. So he was able to play. So those were the two closest calls, and and, and honestly, Gehrig had a lot more close calls. Uh, Garr Gehr, Garrig played with more injuries. One thing I learned going through this research, I mean, Garrig played with things that there's no way Cal they they wouldn't it never happened to Cal, but they wouldn't let any player out there today with. Broken fingers, broken hand, uh, fractured shoulder blade. Uh, you you just wouldn't play today, and you know teams wouldn't do that, and players and agents wouldn't do that. So uh, Garrick had a lot more that he played through, just in terms of sheer injury.
2: When you researched this book, how much did you talk to Richie Bansells?
9: Oh, Richie's one of the main voices in this book. Yeah, Richie was tremendous. Uh, I certainly. You know, I mean, as with you guys, I, I've been around the Orioles in that era. I knew who the go-to guys were in this story, and there was no doubt that Richie was going to be one of them. And uh, you know, Richie was really interesting to talk to. He's got the the privilege of hindsight now, and and uh, golly, I mean, they came into organized baseball together uh, in 1978, and he, you know, was nothing if not just about the closest observer of Cal. As anyone, and he was really interesting to talk about. I think readers uh, will find it interesting, you know, about just how strong he was and how how important it was to Cal long before everybody to be in great shape in the off season. The guys do that all the time now, but Cal was actually one of the first to do that to play basketball through the off season and be in good shape. Richie Richie was a rich source and rich rich source material for me.
1: We're talking with John Eisenberg. He writes for BaltimoreRavens.com. He's written the new book entitled The Streak, Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken Jr. and the Pursuit of Baseball's Most Historic Record. Uh, you mentioned that you might have some book signings coming up. Do you have those in front of you that we can help promote those, John?
9: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yes, I do. I have three in the next few days. Uh, I have one today, Saturday at 1.30 uh, at Greetings and Readings oh, in that's Hunt a, Valley.
1: That's a big one.
9: That's a big one. And then uh, Monday night, 7 o'clock at the Ivy Bookshop on Falls Road. Uh, that will be another big one, I think. And uh, that's Monday the 10th, if I'm not yep. – I believe that's correct. No ball game that night. Uh, and what time, what the,
1: time is that one taking place? 7 o'clock?
9: 7 o'clock. And then two nights after that, also at 7 o'clock, I will be at the Baltimore County Public Library branch in Cockeysville. And that is also at 7 o'clock. And uh, we'll definitely be presenting on that book. And uh, uh, books will be for sale there. I can sign them. And uh, uh, that's an opportunity to get a signed book.
1: And all the local Barnes & Nobles probably have the book as well. You can also order it on Amazon.com. Getting back to the book, we had you on the TV show the other night. And Gary Stein asked what I thought was a good question. This is not kind of like a... Uh, Seabiscuit, you know, uh, uh, sort of a, a, a factual novel, if you will. This book is not so much about Gehrig and Ripkin as it is about the streak. Is that correct?
9: That is absolutely correct. That was my idea, was to, it, it just, 20 years later, a couple of things. I mean, number one, no one's even trying to do this anymore. Uh, I mean, the the consecutive game streaks are over. I think the longest one is about 250 games now. Uh, people aren't trying to do it anymore. The game has changed so much, and also, uh, you know, it, it, Cal is so lauded now, and it's uh, you know he's revered as the Iron Man, and I think many people uh, aren't just aren't aware of how how criticized he was in the, in the for such a long period in the middle of the streak. And I just thought, you know, this, this record is such an unusual record that you, can you think of another one where you get cheered, but you also get booed by some people that are asking, why are you doing this even, and who cares? So I thought, you know, I'm going to take a deep dive into this record. Where did it come from? Who thought it was a good idea in the first place? Is it a good idea to do this? And why has it gone away? And so in the telling of that story, you eventually get into, of course, the story of Gehrig and the story of Ripkin, and they carry the the, the narrative. But uh, it is the story of the record and the many issues that come up. Like, is it really worth is a day off beneficial? You know, that's a question that is asked in this book. And I talk to a lot of people, and many many sort of ancillary issues like that come up.
2: And one of the one of the people I think that would have been good to talk to with a guy that I deal with all the time is Dusty Baker because he truly believes in that, whether it's, for example, with the Nationals, whether it's Daniel Murphy, Ryan Zimmerman. uh, We see Jason Wirth on the DL now, but, you know, giving him time off or a day here and there, that kind of thing. Uh, Dusty's a very big firm believer in that, and, you know, that's why people say, you know, this this streak will, I don't
1: think, ever – ever
2: be broken.
1: Well, that's where I was going to go next and Craig's sort of anticipating that is the managers. Did you get a chance to chat with the different managers that manage? I know Earl had probably passed by the time you were starting this book, but did you talk to Davey and did you talk to Joe yep. Altabelli?
9: Absolutely. And Phil Regan.
1: And Phil Regan, of course. Yeah.
9: Who, who was there the last year and, and uh, I also talked to management, you know, Roland Heeman and,
1: yep. and uh,
9: and Pat Gillick, who, as always, a very interesting guy to talk to. Uh, but, yeah, I-, I talked to all of them, and I had a hard time finding anyone that said, you know, I really, that, that, it was pointless, I didn't care, I didn't want to do it. They were all, like, fine with it. Uh, even, uh, you know, at the very end, I mean, Regan, who was the manager and, and did not have a su- successful stint here. Uh, but uh, the year the Cal broke the record, uh, was, you know, there was a lot of scrutiny, and he had no choice. But he said, I was fine with it. He was still playing well. He hit well. You know, he brought a lot to the table. He didn't realize it, but he was calling the pitches for Ben McDonald <laughs> yeah. and uh, Chris Hoyle. Uh, and so he had no problems with it. And even Pat Gillick, was a pretty edgy guy, came along in 96, 97, 98. By the end of that 98, when, when he ended it, he did say, yeah, it was time. But in 96, 97, early 97, Cal got hurt that year, he said I had no problem with him being out there every day. I mean, he he was contributing, he was playing well, it was fine.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really amazing because you know I remember talking to Davey about it, and Davey would come in and say, you know, I never knew that I couldn't get my player a day off without there being such a big humbabalu. <laughs> you know,
5: yeah, and, that's
2: pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and, and I mean, he really believed that. He was like. You know, I mean, I know he plays all the time, but my goodness. I said, I was crucified.
5: <laughs> yeah.
9: Oh, I'm sure. Listen, I am sure that Davy wouldn't have minded sitting him. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's no doubt about it. And he also, Davy was nothing if not shrewd, and he couldn't do it. But, uh, you know, certainly in 96, Cal had a pretty good year. And uh, they had some nice teams there. and Yeah. And uh, he wanted to be part of it. I mean, there, there's no doubt. I mean, Cal tells the story in 97, when, when his back went out, that's really when he had the worst injury. Mm-hmm. The most pain he dealt with was in 97, terrible back pain in late July through Labor Day. And he took a shot, a uh, cortisone shot, and he could barely stand up. He said, there were, he, you know, this is Cal telling the story. But he said, Davy came to me and begged me practically to play because Eric Davis said, you know, there was a cancer this diagnosis, out. Yep. and uh, uh, Robbie Almar was on the disabled list, and he said, you know, we were we were down, guys, and Davey came to me and said, listen, I hope you can play with his back, because we absolutely need you out there, and that's probably the time when he should have sat down, there's no doubt about it, because, I mean, Brady Anderson said, listen, that was painful to watch, but, uh, you know, he kept playing, and he hit 300 in those six weeks, or something like that, so. Uh, It's pretty hilarious the way it all worked
1: out. We're talking with the author of The Streak. We've just got a couple more minutes with him. Uh, The Streak, Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken Jr. and the pursuit of baseball's most historic record. Uh, We talked about this the other night on TV. There was the consecutive game streak, which I think all of us were kind of in awe of, but that secondary streak where Cal wouldn't sit down even innings. Yeah. Uh, how many consecutive innings did he play? And I forget. Was who was it that finally sat him down from the inning streak? That was Dad. I that think. That was yeah. dad. his father.
9: Yeah. His father. His father sat him down. It was eight thousand one hundred and sixty-two innings. I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, they had to go back. Uh, I don't know who did the research. Uh, whether it was Saber or the Sporting News or Elias, but they went back and found the old record. And, and, and he had broken it long before they started investigating. It was like 5,000 and something. It was a guy from, that. I, it's in the book, George Pinckney, third baseman for Brooklyn before they were even the Dodgers, played without a glove. That's how long ago it was. But uh, he that's his consecutive inning streak he broke. And it was his father that just said, you know, enough already. Uh, this isn't, you know, he's under a lot of scrutiny here. This was in 1987. The Orioles were horrible. And he he one night that that night in Toronto when they gave up ten home runs, that that's the night that he ended it. You know that that, that you know, he decided that enough already. Let's give the kid a break and take it off his plate.
2: John, as you know, I cover the Nationals as well. But uh, I had Kenny Rosenthal on the Nats Insider show that I did last week on Sunday, and of course, uh, Kenny when he was in Baltimore as a columnist, writing for the Sun would usually write the yearly Cal needs to sit down column. And right. one night up in the press box, the first laptop we ever lost was a foul ball, came back, took, <laughs> Kenny's, took Kenny's screen out, his hard drive and the whole thing, and Cal hit it. <laughs> yeah,
9: yeah, 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 Cal, yeah. I think he thought that was a pretty good story. Well, you know,
2: and the funny part about it was we went down and we told Cal about it after the game, and Cal said, Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey John, before we let you go, our cover story for Pressbox in July is gonna be about Ken Rosenthal, and I won't give too much of it away, but the story kinda of ends with him talking about the streak and about you know being there the night that he broke the record and he says it's the number one event he's ever covered and it's miles ahead of anything else. Do you feel that same way? Um
9: I think I do. I mean, listen, I've covered two uh, Ravens Super Bowls. Uh that was pretty good. Uh uh those were good as a local uh, local history. Uh and just some general sports that I've seen, you know, Tiger Woods winning the Masters by 20 strokes or whatever it was and I you know, I've been, I've seen a lot of stuff, but uh I think it probably does rank at the top, and and, uh, number one, it happened in Baltimore. That was wonderful, Uh, and it was just, you know what? It was authentic history that so many things are ascribed to as momentous history these days, and a lot of it is kind of not that big a deal, in my opinion. This was the real thing. I mean, you had Joe DiMaggio there representing, in honor of his teammate, Lou Gehrig, you know, one of the all-time, one, one of the stories of the 20th century America, uh, the, the tragedy. Such powerful uh, figures and numbers and accomplishments and history. It's the real thing. And, uh, you know, even 20 years later, pretty moving. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's at the top. And uh, it, was, it was just real, real history.
1: All right, John Eisenberg, the book is The Streak. He's got a signing today at 1.30, greetings and readings, out at the um, – what's that mall called now? It's not a mall. It's called the um, – Hunt Valley. Hunt Valley uh, Town Center, right? Mm-hmm. The Hunt Valley Town right, Center. That's right. Greetings and readings there to Monday night at the Ivy Bookstore, correct? Right. At 7 that's o'clock. Correct. And then on Wednesday – you're going to be at the Baltimore County Library in... Cockeysville. Cockeysville. All right. That's just a couple of the ways you can get an autograph book, but you can order the book through Amazon and stop at your Barnes & Noble store. Uh, the book is a great read. The Streak, Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken, Jr., in the Pursuit of America's Most Historic, or Baseball's Most Historic Record.
2: Can't wait to read it, John. It's certainly when you say... Uh, and answered what Stan asked, uh, asked you about whether or not that was one of the greatest things you've ever covered. I keep telling people it's the, the two most spectacular nights I've ever spent in the ballpark.
1: Yeah. Well, you're gonna have yep. you're gonna have trouble reading this book because you so, might have to buy it.
2: Well, that's fine. <laughs> I can do that. I'm just kidding. But but are there
1: <laughs> pictures in it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, big one. Well, that makes it, that makes it easier yeah, to read. <laughs> hey, okay, yeah. Thank yeah, you, you can, John. A bunch of
2: pages.
9: You can leap through those very quickly. <laughs> All right. John's
1: also on with us tomorrow morning, ten thirty on Sunday on channel two, W M A R on Inside Press Box. John, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated, guys. All right, guys. All right. One of the uh, real good guys around. And one of the real good writers yes. around. You know. And I think if you play your cards right, he might even sign you a book. Oh well, you know. know. Give you a book. John's got a couple of them. Anyway, he's written some really terrific sports books.
2: But that conversation would go a little differently than the conversation with Dave Ginsberg and myself after Gins's book came out about Rick Dempsey. And I, you know, I said, all right, so where's my copy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, we're going to be joined by Baseball America's Ben Badler uh, in just a moment. He's going to join us. Ben is a prospects writer, always has been. – that's been his specialty – but he's really become kind of a specialist on the international market. And your question to Steve Molesky. Would we'll be a get, good one for him. We'll we'll get to, to that in just a moment as Ben will join us. I uh, want to remind you that Mark Zuckerman will join us from com. Probably a more pleasant conversation about the Nationals than the one we had with Steve Molesky about the Orioles.
2: And we want to try to get him around 1130, yep. right around in there, because – uh, Dusty's going to probably be starting his press conference a little after twelve, and Mark is we'll on
1: his way him, to the ball we'll Get part. him right yep. at eleven thirty. But joining us right now is Baseball America's Ben. Ben, I got to ask you. I've I've read your stuff for years. Is it Badler or Badler?
10: <laughs> it's, uh, it's Badler. Yeah, usually I'm the one uh, writing up all these international players. Uh, so. Uh... <laughs> Usually, I'm the one who's uh, butchering the pronunciations and names.
1: <laughs> All right, it's Ben Badler of Baseball America. Long admired your work, and we can we'll get into talking about uh, your opinions on the Baltimore Orioles because we're talking in Baltimore. But I really wanted to ask you how you ended up taking your your prospects knowledge in the game and diverting it and and getting so specialized on these international players. And how hard that is, because you are almost like the only source a lot of us have to know about these guys.
10: Thank you. I appreciate the uh, the, the kind words. I'll try to uh, con- give you the condensed version, which was about ten years ago uh, at Baseball America. There was a player named uh, Juan Duran who who signed with the Reds. He was a six foot six Dominican outfielder, and he signed for. $2 dollars and it was this really unusual story where uh, nobody even realized that he was eligible to be signed yet but the red knew of some obscure rule that allowed him to be signed and i tracked down that story and
1: was Bowden, I, I was looked, Bowden their general manager then that was no
10: i think he had been uh he had been gone at that okay. time uh, i remember bob miller was their assistant gm at the time uh well you he was the one who understood that rule But then I started looking into it more, and I said, you know what? We cover the draft like uh, complete lunatics, and uh, you know, at the same time, there's probably about a quarter of our prospect handbook is international players. And you look around the major leagues, and it's about the same level. And you know, why don't we cover international signings the same way, previewing it? And I just kind of started to to do that. Nobody anywhere had done it at the time, and. Uh, it's just kind of grown and grown, and it's it's the market itself, and and our coverage along with it has really changed over the last ten years. Because ten years ago, half the battle was just finding out the the names of players. I mean, it's it's tricky because you you know, especially at that time, you know these, these players are not playing in organized games. Yeah. It's not like you go to the you know the you know the University of Florida website and look up all their players and have their stats and <laughs> their schedule and all that. It's uh, all right. This guy named Banana has a player. Uh, an outfielder who sometimes just goes by a nickname, and it's <laughs> uh, it's it, it, uh, it certainly evolved a lot since then. I mean, now players are playing a lot more games than they ever were uh, before, certainly five to ten years ago. So uh, that's one of the things I really like about it: is just that uh, there's always something changing. You're trying to put together the puzzle, but there's everything is constantly changing at a very quick pace in the in the international market.
1: So Ben, let me ask you a question: How, When you went to your bosses and they said, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Did it entail an expenditure above and beyond your pay in terms of travel? Did you have to get down there into Latin America, and did you visit Cuba in the early days?
10: You know, at first, the our international coverage budget uh, was basically whatever my my phone bill was, <laughs> so I wasn't going down there. Uh, but I was making a lot of I had a lot of created a lot of contacts who were in the Dominican Republic, in Venezuela, Mexico, other other countries, although it's primarily the Dominican Republic in Venezuela where players are signing from. But as it's kind of grown and grown over the years and as Baseball America has, has continued to grow with it, our our travel budget has uh, significantly uh, increased since then. So we am able to get down to, uh, especially down to the Dominican Republic, to, uh, to see a lot of these players in person myself. But, I mean, a lot of the job is, it's, it's tricky because these guys are all You know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds, I mean, thousands of players really who are working out for clubs. And and it's not, like I was saying, it's not like these guys are all playing for, uh, you know, for a bunch of different teams. It's every team is kind of getting their own, every major league team is kind of getting their own private looks at these guys in a lot of different situations. So uh, really, a lot of it is, I I am seeing a lot of the players myself, but a lot of it is relying on my contacts in the scouting community who are uh, seeing these guys a lot more than, than I ever could.
2: Ben, I was uh, covering the Nationals uh, this past week down in D.C. and talked to several scouts, uh, and and we got on the topic of the Orioles and how they continue to trade their international slot money away uh, for different players. And, and And a couple of them made the point that as long as they keep doing that, that's absolutely going to kill their chance to rebuild what many people think is a, a – pretty poor farm system uh how do you look at that and i know you've been critical about the orioles in that regard yeah i
10: mean there's really there's not much that their international scouts can do when ownership or or senior management or whoever's making the decision is giving them i mean very very little money to spend i mean i I think last year at least during the calendar year they spent just two hundred and sixty thousand dollars uh, in a time where you know most teams are are spending anywhere from you know two to four million dollars, and, and before you could exceed your international bonus pool, you had some teams like the Dodgers and the Padres who were spending upwards of of eighty million dollars uh, to sign players. It's it's just really hard to compete at that level. I I, I think it's already shown uh, at the in the farm system. I mean, who are their best international prospects? And I mean, Joe Reyes is is actually an example of a guy who when they were willing to spend a little bit of money on somebody has turned into a a solid prospect for them, but other than that, they just their their farm system is just completely barren of Latin American prospects. Uh, It shows already, and it's going to continue to show uh, years down the road. Because it's you know, look, I'm not saying you even have to spend you know five million dollars or the full five point seven five million dollar bonus pool that they have, but I mean, you got to give your scouts you know a couple million dollars just to to spend, and they don't even necessarily have to to go out and sign a two million dollar guy every single year, but uh, just give them some flexibility to to go out and sign the guy for two hundred or three hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars, because you can get good players in that price range. But when they just have no resources to work with, you just you can't even find those those bargains, especially when the, as the international market has gotten so competitive, where you have twenty nine other teams that are are very active in that market.
1: We're talking with Ben Badler, Baseball America's uh, prospects expert and a, and a specialist on the international market. You know, it would seem one thing the Orioles could do that's along the lines of what you said where they don't have to spend at all. I did – I was away on vacation last a week ago, Ben, and I looked around just the American League East and I looked at the pitching prospects, starting pitching prospects that the American League East teams had at low A – A, and double A. Yankees have 15 legitimate names of guys who are doing well. Boston has 13. Tampa has 11. Toronto has nine. And the Orioles had three or four. It would seem like that would be the area where you'd take a shot at least every year and and say, hey, if we add even one or two arms that are starting pitchers, Maybe there'll be a payoff here, and then we can fill in with the position players because they're around a lot longer.
10: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's there's so much you can find so much value for pitching, especially in Latin America, where I think that I, I looked through our prospect handbook, and almost all the position players were signed for a hundred thousand dollars and up. But when it comes to pitching, it's you know flip a coin whether the guy signed for a hundred thousand dollars or more or, or less than a hundred thousand dollars because you know, at that age, you're trying to kids who are 16, 17, sometimes 18. And, you know, at best, some of them are throwing 93, 94, topping out there. But uh, a lot of these guys are, you know, they don't have the top-end stuff yet. But then a lot of these guys are skinny, lanky, projectable, long-armed kids who all of a sudden you get them into your, your program. You get them professional coaching. You get them just food. I mean, you get some calories into these kids. You get them strength training. And, and all of a sudden the velocity takes off. And uh, there's teams all over baseball who have good pitching prospects who, who they sign for, you know, $30,000, $10,000. Uh, but the Orioles, just you know, that and part of it is just coming in with, with volume, too, the volume of signings. I mean, most teams are signing 25 to 30 players a year. And last year the Orioles signed, like, five players total. <laughs> just uh, but it, Even if you're not going to spend a lot of money, you got to go out and at least roll the dice on on some of these cheaper – uh, signings and get some volume in the system, especially for pitching. Like you were saying, those guys can can really pop once they once they sign and, and get into the system. But uh, that they, the Orioles haven't even really had many of those kind of guys either.
1: We're talking with Ben Badler. Ben, you know it's interesting. We're comparing uh, the the Masson teams, and the team that's crying about their <laughs> deal with the you know with the Orioles is the Washington Nationals who. Uh, declaring that their rights are worth a lot more money than they are. They just sent out a press release Thursday that, with a list of 27 international players that they signed, uh, and the Orioles, I'm imagining they probably signed seven to ten players, but they're really – they don't make any news about it. They're probably lower-tier uh, guys. Uh, it, it's remarkable the, the comparison and contrast. And, the, w- and
2: the way of thinking. And I mean, you know, in terms of what it takes to be successful, up and down, you know, from top to bottom, in, in terms of your organization.
10: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the and the Nationals are actually an example of a team where, you know, look, obviously, uh, a few years ago, this is up until a few years ago, this was a team that was not spending a lot of money internationally, but uh, they had very good scouts, uh, and they were able to, you know, they were still. They were still signing a lot of players, and they were finding bargain guys like a, like a Reynaldo Lopez or a Wilmer Defoe. Uh, and now they're starting to spend more money, and I, and I think they have one of the better international programs in the game. They they, they signed somebody, you know, Victor Robles is he's in our top ten prospects right now. I think he's got a chance to be potentially the number one prospect at some point uh, in the entire game. By the by the time he gets to the major leagues, I think he has a chance to be a a superstar for them. <laughs> Assuming they hold on to him, so uh, I mean that's an example of a team that you know even if you're not spending a million dollars, two million dollars for the, the top top guys, uh, if, if you give your scouts at least adequate resources to be able to to do their jobs, and and you have good scouts, good scouts on the ground throughout Latin America, uh, you can find you can find good talent, and I think the Nationals are a good example of that.
2: Well, in terms of uh, in terms of Robles, uh, you you hear his name brought up as far as maybe the Nationals who need a closer right now and looking for some bullpen help, you hear his name, you hear Eric Fetty. Now, I don't think they're going to get rid of Eric Fetty under any circumstances, but that's the one thing, as they've built this team over the last five years that they have had, is the, the bargaining chips at the minor league level to be able to go out and get the players that they want.
10: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, then, you know, look like, <laughs> – Juan Soto is, is another example. I mean, here's, a, here's an example of when the Nationals are finally willing to spend, you know, some, some money on, on players and give their scouts the, the resources to invest in that million-dollar-plus guy. They go out and sign Juan Soto for, I think it was $1.3 or $1.4 million, a Dominican outfielder who, wow, I mean, every I mean, he's injured right now, but uh, I don't have any long-term concerns about that. Every scout I talk to. About this guy is like holy smokes! Yeah. This guy is one of the the best young hitters uh, I've seen in a while. I mean, 18 years old. What he was doing in the the South Atlantic League was uh, was just outstanding. So this guy's a, a pure hitter. So yeah, I mean, they certainly have the the trade chips. I'd be very hesitant to give up uh, Victor Robles on, unless I'm getting some type of a uh, you know a star, like a, <laughs> some type of a star in return to am getting several years of uh, an affordable contract on, but. I mean, yeah, those other guys are certainly very attractive trade trips for uh, for the Nationals to, to offer to another club if they want.
2: And to show you how it can work, he mentioned Will, Wilmer Depot Stan. Here's a guy, because of injuries, now he's a nice piece off the bench, but because of injuries uh, to Trey Turner now, he's getting uh, a lot more time uh, at shortstop yep. and, and really making a contribution. Uh, some good speed, nice glove, good arm, and uh, he's fit in nicely. And that's the other thing about – signing some of these guys, they wind up on your bench, too. And I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another bench in Major League Baseball right now that's as good as the Nationals, top to bottom.
1: Yeah, having somebody like that as opposed to Paul Janish yeah. or <laughs> Craig Gentry, right? you know, that, that, those would be certainly better options. Uh We're talking with Ben Badler of Baseball America. He's one of their prospects, experts, and especially – in the international market. You know, Dan Duquette, when he was hired by Peter Angelos, came in and one of the very first moves he made was signing Wee In Chen, um, you know, the Taiwanese pitcher, signed him to a four year, $16 million contract, which was kind of the second reasonable expenditure the Orioles had made in Japan, uh, the other being Koji Uihara. You would have thought that that might have bought. Uh, Dan, some credibility with ownership to to explore that a little bit more.
10: Yeah, I mean, I think they they probably just view it as, and and somewhat rightfully so, is that the you're, you're essentially guiding a a major league ready player versus uh, somebody who's you know 16, 17 years old uh, out of the Dominican Republic. So while you know your Chen is certainly a bigger investment than than you're going to have to make uh, in terms of the. The total dollar expenditure compared to a signing a top 16 year old player of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela uh, certainly those 16 those year old kids are are a much higher risk but yeah I mean it's they I think they have done a good job signing some of those uh, you know Asian foreign professional players but uh, for whatever reason they have they've been unwilling to to invest at all uh, as long as uh, Angelos is on the team in the in the international, or excuse me, the, the Latin American uh, international amateur market.
1: Ben, I, I'm sure I'm not sure how well you know Dan Duquette, but you know his history. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's always been a pretty good development guy at most stops along the way in his uh, in his career. Um, what do you think of how? And this is clearly, in my opinion, more ownership than Dan Duquette's opinion of how to approach the international market. But, given that ownership's not giving him the resources, do you think he's trying to make a little bit of chicken salad out of chicken bleep with his slot deals? I mean' is he at least yeah. trying to get something for them
10: yeah i mean I think there's there's something to that there i i think he's i think he's definitely handcuffed by by ownership I mean it's just not like the first it's not like he's the first general manager who's come in and <laughs> Into uh, into Baltimore and uh, and not spent on the international market. I mean, just just judging by the actions, it, it certainly seems that it's it's ownership's call. Uh, I mean, I think that
1: hey Ben, not to hope- not Ben, not to interrupt you. I was a talk show host in the night in the uh, 80s and 90s in Baltimore. One of the things I was most excited about when they hired Pat Gillick was I thought Pat was going to take us into Cuba in a big mm-hmm. way. And I remember the press conference when he was hired. My asking him that question, and he clearly that was his desire. So this goes back close to twenty, twenty-one years.
10: Yeah, I mean, you just gotta—I judge people by their actions, and, yep. and the actions are, like you say,
1: it's—it's
10: it's clearly coming from the very, very top of the organization. I mean, you would hope that the, the general manager uh, could have a relationship with the owner and say, look, you know, we're spending one hundred fifty million dollars or or whatever it is on on the major league payroll. You know, maybe for for the best sake, interest of the best long term interest of this franchise is to take you know maybe spend 147 million dollars or 148 and just put right, you know, just two to three million dollars in, into this market, um, and and we'll we'll reap the benefits and, and the rewards of this uh, for years. Whether it's players coming up through our, our farm system and helping our major league club, or you know, like we we're talking about with the Nationals, Reynaldo Lopez, somebody you can use in a trade uh, for. Uh, you know, to, to acquire players from other clubs in, in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's trading away players trying to get something, I and mean, clearly they're not going to spend 5 to $5.5 million dollars, uh, of their international bonus pool on, on players. So they're trying to get something. But, I mean, the guys in, in reality they're they're getting back are very, very yep. fringe, long-shot uh, type of guys. I mean, frankly, I'm actually a little bit surprised that they are trading away uh, some of their international bonus pool money so quickly for these very fringe long shot guys just because maybe Shohei Ohtani comes over this year and he's going to be subject to the bonus pools and everybody else is spending their international bonus pool money and hey maybe at the end of the day the Orioles can offer this guy more money than anybody else but instead they're just basically just giving away their money for these long shot type of guys so uh, it's just uh, it's just a puzzling strategy
1: all around. You jumped my jumped into my last topic was uh, uh you know the uh, Japanese player and again Otani, uh, what's his first name again? Sh- uh, Shohei yeah. Shohei Otani, uh, how good is he, and what do you think the chances are that uh, his club will post him this year?
10: Yeah, he's just uh, he's just like a mutant man. I mean, I've <laughs> seen. <laughs> anything quite like this where he's if, if he came over right now it's not like he'd even be I don't know he wouldn't spend a day in the minor leagues uh from a, just from a pitching perspective I mean, this guy can come in and be a top of the rotation starter right away it's like a it's like a Noah Syndergaard type fastball I mean it is sitting uh in the upper 90s topping out in, in triple digits uh he's got swing and miss secondary stuff and then as a hitter uh, he's just got huge power too, and he's so young. It's it's really unusual. I've never seen a player uh, quite like this. He gets a ton of hype, uh, but he backs it up. He he deserves it. I mean, he's been injured this year, so that's certainly a question in terms of uh, you know going forward. Is his team going to post him? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a really unusual situation where how much does he value? coming to the major leagues right away and, and just playing against the, the best competition in the world versus waiting a couple of years and, and getting potentially a, a $200 million-plus yep. contract. Whereas if he comes over now, he's going to be subject to the bonus pools. I mean, the most he could get in theory is about a $10 million signing bonus and then just you know make the major league minimum salary uh, for a few years. And, and the reality is that a lot of teams have spent a lot of their Bonus pool money already, so he's probably looking at maybe a, a few million dollars. Pretty comparable, I guess, to a, to a first round pick in the United States. But I mean, that's an enormous discount to yep. to take. You. you know, three million dollars versus potentially two hundred million dollars uh, if he's willing to, uh, to wait a couple of years and then just still pitch in, in his home country in Japan uh, so for those next two years.
1: Ben, long admired your work. Great, great to have you on the bat around, and uh, we'll, we'll reach out to you sometime down the road, but really enjoyed it. Well, oh, thank you very much, guys. I enjoyed it too. All right. Thank you very much. Ben Badler, Baseball America's prospects expert uh, who specializes in the international market. Uh, if you're like me and you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Bats Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. And Major Golf
2: returns to Baltimore July the 11th through the 16th for the Constellation Senior Players Championship. Get up close to golf's legends at the prestigious Caves Valley Golf Club. Visit them on the web, CSPGolf.com for more tickets and more information. And it says here, read twice on all shows.
1: <laughs> well, we we that's the second Yeah, I, 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 I yeah. know. I'm you, just, did,
2: you did good on I that. I just wanted to make sure
1: I, yeah. I read everything that was did on the Did you mention page. anything about the green ticket? <laughs> no. All right. And that is here. It's upon us now, the Senior Open yeah. at Caves Valley. It's exciting. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets Four green turtle dinners and four iron bird caps, Craig, for just forty nine ninety six. What kind of value is that? I think it's like a two hundred six dollar value. No, that was two hundred eight. Oh, two hundred eight. I missed it for, by a couple of bucks. For forty nine ninety six, purchase your green turtle friends and family package online today by visiting. IronBirdsBaseball.com, your summer starts now.
2: All of our sponsors are out there going, are they making fun of
1: us? <laughs> and we are. <laughs> and we are, kind fun. of, us, so yeah. All right, and Mark Zuckerman joins us from MadisonSports.com. We'll talk to him about the Washington Nationals when we return on the Bat Around after this.
7: Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick.
6: It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town, and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire Tyron Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, or visit tyronauto.com to find out more.
10: KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality football show with Sarita, the NFL. Chick, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps, if there's an important story
7: around the country, we'll throw that in. But
10: our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general, do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes.
5: Uh, I guess. <laughs> Sundays.
6: Sunday's 10 to noon Press Box Fantasy and Reality football show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all natural watermelon and mint flavors and it's complimentary to the smokehouse barbecue sandwich get the chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard in the nottingham square shopping center tell steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before august 19th because these items are available for a limited time only Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray.
10: And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So similar name. Very similar name, a lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously, but we're still gonna yell at each other. I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick.
4: Find game time under the podcast tab at PressboxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. The latest edition
6: of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Charlie Vassilero introduces you to Baltimore's James Mosher League, the oldest continuously operating African-American youth baseball league in the country. Plus, we look back on the remarkable dual men's and women's lacrosse national titles won by the University of Maryland. PressBox is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
2: And welcome back to the Bat Around, Craig Heist, along with Stan the Fan, Charles, here on our weekly Saturday morning press box show called the Bat Around, and we're going to join Mark Zuckerman of Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com, who covers the Nationals, beat writer. And Mark, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, Thank first you of very all, much
1: for coming on, Mark.
2: Re- real quick, give me a traffic report because I know you're on the way to the ballpark, and I'll be heading down there shortly. <laughs> So
7: far, so good.
11: Uh, I think I come from a little different direction than you, Craig. Yes. uh, But the the best news to me is I'm looking up ahead and it's all blue skies. I know that doesn't guarantee no delays as we found out this week. (laughs) But I'm hoping that, that, you know, there's at least a better than 50% chance of no delays.
2: Well, that's good. And I got to ask you, I mean, the the bizarre nature of what happened a couple of nights ago uh, at the ballpark. I, I told people I've sat through rain delays. I've sat through rain delays where there, were, where there was no rain, but I've never sat through a three-hour rain delay where two, and a half, or two hours of that rain delay was taking place without the TART being on the field.
11: Yeah, that was a first for me as well. And, I mean, look, we all looked at the same radar map, and at 645 or whenever it was, yeah. decided to go into a delay. It did look like there were some pretty heavy rain coming. Now, it looked like it was a ways off, and that they were probably going to be able to get at least three, four, even five innings in
9: before
10: it would hit.
11: And so I think a lot of people were surprised that they were then going into a delay. I could almost have understood if they just postponed it at that point. Now, they would have taken a risk that if it didn't, as it turned out, didn't rain or didn't rain hard, they would have looked bad. But to me, the, the waiting it out part was odd because it, it, it seemed to me – that they were fully expecting to not ever play that game, but they mm-hmm. didn't think they could call it off uh, until it actually started raining. And that was a little suspect. And then I think really this is the fault here. Look, I mean, meteorologists, it's the weather. You never know. It, it, it's going to change. People make mistakes. I think people understand that. But the lack of communication from the Nationals, really from the outset, they made the first announcement that the game was going to be delayed, and then there literally was not another announcement until about nine thirty. Yeah. And I, 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 and that to me is a problem. I think that's really what most fans are upset about is if they had some sense along the way of what the thinking was or how things were changing, then they might have uh, handled things differently. Maybe they would have stuck it out. Maybe they wouldn't have gone home. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe they would have left earlier. Whatever it was, there were a lot of fans that were really upset by it and, and justified themselves. So.
2: Well, the whole organization was just blistered on social media. Uh, Twitter, etc. And the Braves but they did bro- give away free soda and yeah, ice well, cream. Yeah, free soda and ice cream, Mark. Can't beat that. Uh, yeah, I should have run down to the stands. I didn't get my uh, shot right. of that. But the Braves broadcast team in the booth, uh, I mean, they're sitting there doing was their. Was Sutton? No. Uh, was it Carey? Yeah. Yeah. He's sitting there. He and his partner have got holding up an umbrella <laughs> in, the, in the booth, and it's obviously not raining outside, but they, they really did. And, you know, there's a lot of people around baseball saying, well, you know, the Nats did this, number one, they didn't want to lose Geo and uh, that start and then have to have to pull it over to the bullpen. And uh, I think there's probably some validity to that, uh, but they were they, they were caught between a rock and a hard place after about an hour, hour and a half, and there was not much they could have done about it at that point. You know, and, and look, whatever their motives
11: were, you know, I think they're – there was genuine uncertainty because they thought they saw what the forecast was and then it did change. I mean we were all watching this ourselves. You could see how those storms were breaking up as they started to get closer. But that's why to me you just you start the game. Unless you see that it's pretty imminent and it's gonna hit within the next, you know, twenty minutes or something like that. Right. You start the game because you never know what might happen. Maybe you get the full five innings in. Maybe you get more than that as it turned out. Uh, and even if it does rain later, then you deal with that when it happens. And um, th- th- this was a failure on, on a lot of levels from a lot of different people in the organization who had to make that decision. Uh, and it, and they're paying the price for it now because they're they're going to be apologizing for this one for a long time, I think. Yep.
1: We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of com. He covers the Nationals extraordinarily well. And uh, long with covering them fairly well is a long history of a team that gets hit by some serious injuries, what updates can you give me? Is, is there any chance as we get toward postseason that Adam Eaton could play again this year?
11: I think it's highly doubtful. They're not going to rule it out really just because you never know. Uh, but I think if it were to happen, it would be a Kyle Schwarber type of situation where maybe he's available all the way to the end of October. Yep. Uh, and, and really, at that point, is it worth it? You know, What are you getting from a guy who does rely on speed as a big part of his game? So, look, they're going to let him go through his rehab. Uh, they want him to have that goal in mind because that's a good thing for him to do, to uh, to keep himself motivated. Uh, but they aren't going to push that if there's no reason to, and it's going to require not only eating healing at a pretty fast rate, but it's also going to require the team having a lot of that's in October to even get to a point where he might be available so I really think deep down they're looking at 2018 for Eaton and to their credit they've they've made up for that loss it looked bad at the time uh what Michael Taylor has done in his absence now Taylor's out also now that's gonna be a problem but what he's done what Brian Goodwin has done um they really have been able to cover for that injury that at the time looked like it was going to be a significant problem
1: And what's the latest on Trey Turner's injury? It's been what, about two and a half weeks now since the the displaced fracture. Yeah, I think we're
11: approaching the two week mark, and the plan was to give him another X-ray at the two week mark to get a sense of how the uh, the fracture is starting to heal, and then they can go from there. So they haven't put a firm timetable on it, but if you want to compare, and it's not necessarily fair to do this because different guys have different injuries and different bodies, but. Uh, Freddie Freeman had a similar type of fracture uh, getting hit by a pitch, and the initial timeline for him was 10 weeks, and he just came back from seven. Again, that doesn't mean it's going to happen in Trey's case. But I think the team is pretty confident that come September 1st, give or take a week in either direction, I think they feel like that's the time frame for it. And the key there is that should be ample time for Turner to get a good month or more of game action and get his swing back together, get comfortable uh, facing pitching again, because what you don't want to have is a guy who's still in rehab mode when the playoffs do come. Uh, And it it sounds like, barring any setbacks along the way, that shouldn't be the case. He should have enough time to get back into midseason form before October.
2: Boy, that Freddie Freeman uh, picks uh, just about the wrong time to come back if you're a Nationals fan, because... He has always been a Nationals killer, 106 games, and he's got 16 home runs, and he hits about 330, 340 against the Nationals. So, uh, And had a big two-run single last night. Mark, how big was that win for the Nationals last night? Oliver Perez comes in for Scherzer, uh, you know, and, and, and Freeman winds up with the hit. But, boy, they got trying in with three straight ground balls, and then they get Matt Albers in a situation where – Uh, He gets a a double-play ground ball on Matt Kemp in the top of the tenth to get them uh, to a situation where they could win the game.
11: Yeah, that was a big comeback for them. If they lose that game, that's two in a row to the Braves, and not that anyone's really starting to sweat yet, but all of a sudden it's a a seven-and-a-half game lead, and you've got an Atlanta team that is starting to play well and is kind of feeling good about itself, and uh, that can change the dynamic of of the situation a little bit. And the fact that they could – Produce that kind of rally to come back and win. Uh, it made up for the way that things went in the eighth when Max came out of the game. And like you said, Ollie Perez couldn't get Freddie Freeman out. Although, as you pointed out, I'm not sure there's anybody on the Nationalist pitching staff that can get Freddie Freeman out anymore. <laughs> I know.
6: Um, so
11: it, it, I think it was a big boost for them to do that. And it's also evidence of, it, you know, sort of the flip side of we always uh, – when you get to the eighth or ninth inning with the Nationals holding a lead, you feel like no lead is safe for that bullpen. Well, I'll take the flip side of that too. There are very few deficits that aren't uh, that this team is not capable of overcoming. Right. This is the kind of lineup, and you saw it last night. They can string together quality at bat after quality at bat. Uh, it was pretty much everybody involved that made that happen last night. You can't do that without having five, six, seven really good hitters. And that gives them confidence that they do feel like, even if they're trailing three runs in the ninth inning, that they can put together that kind of rally. We've seen them do it. They almost did it against the Cubs yeah. last week. Uh, those are the kind of things you remember when it really comes to crunch time. Uh, I think that gives them confidence even when they're trailing going into
2: ninth And run. Ryan Zimmerman was telling me that last week. He says it's not so much our offense and the people that are you know, up and down. He says it's just the quality at-bats that we can have you know, from 1 through 8 until you get to the pitcher. And I, I think that, that probably is probably the biggest reason why they're as successful as they are.
11: Yeah, No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, look at the situation last night where when it finally got to the bottom of the 10th and Zimmerman single moved Sanchez to third. Now it's first and third, one out. Uh, tying run on third, and Daniel Murphy's at the plate. And if you're the opposing manager, you may be thinking, man, Daniel Murphy's one of the best hitters in the league. I don't want him to be the one to beat me. Maybe we walk him, load the bases, try to get a double play, and get out of this mess. Well, who's the guy hitting behind Murphy?
2: Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon,
11: who is one of the best in the league at putting together a quality at bat. And for all the heat that Dusty Baker takes from some people that that believe that Rendon should be hitting higher in the lineup, especially with the injuries, And, and I get that because he's better than your typical number six hitter. But I do understand the rationale is that he likes that protection for Murphy, and that's how you string together those kind of rallies uh, and allow or force the opposing team to have to pitch to Murphy or to Zimmerman in front of Murphy or to Harper in front of Zimmerman. Uh, There is no let-up, and that that really makes a difference. Uh, For all the talk of how much does lineup construction really matter or not, I think in this case we're seeing that it does uh, because of the depth because of the versatility, by going left, right, left, right with these guys. Um, There's nobody that, if you're the opposing manager, you can pitch around to get to the next guy because the next guy is going to give you a quality of bat as well.
1: We're talking with Mark Zuckerman, covers the Nationals for MassInSports.com. Mark, we're at July the uh, 8th right now, I think it is, or is today the 9th? Mm Today's the 8th. Today's the 8th. 8th has been coming after the 7th for thousands of years, (laughs) as my history teacher used to say. Uh, But we're getting close Uh, right after the All-Star break. There'll be some two weeks left before the trade deadline. Uh, I know we've had you on before and we've asked it. I'll ask it again. What direction do you think the the Nats will go in trying to solve the late innings?
11: Well, here's the, the complicating factor, and I think it's changed somewhat in the last few weeks is that there are not a lot of teams that are truly out of the race, especially in the American League. And so you've got teams that maybe you thought would be sellers that all of a sudden are not thinking of those terms. The Kansas City Royals are the best example. Everyone assumed, oh, hey, Kelvin Herrera, he makes perfect sense. Uh, that's going to happen at some point. Well, the Royals are actually in one of the wild cards right. right now, I believe. And they're not in any uh, rush to make a move. and so. Even if you're, you know, if you're Mike Rizzo, you want to get this done sooner rather than later, but it takes two to tango. And if you don't have a whole lot of willing partners out there, you may have to wait it out until uh, closer to July 31st. And so that's going to complicate matters. What also complicates matters is that unlike a year ago when you had Chapman, Melanson, Andrew Miller, three truly elite-top closers that were available, you don't have that kind of quality that's available this year. And so unless you want to go for David Robertson, then I still feel like if the Nats wanted David Robertson, they would have had him by now. Mm-hmm. They've had plenty of opportunities to do it. So I really think that they may be looking more in terms of the guys who profile more as a setup man mm-hmm. than as a closer. And so I'm looking at guys like Ryan Madsen of the A's, uh, Brad Hand of the Padres, uh, Pat Neshek of the Phillies, those type of guys who aren't going to cost as much in terms of prospects. Uh, but do have track records for pitching well late in games. And maybe they aren't true closers, but they're better than what the Nationals have right now. And I think especially in Madsen's case, what's appealing about him is that here's a guy who's been there, done that, has been a part of successful playoff bullpens. And because we're really talking about here, you don't just want a guy with stuff. You want a guy that you can trust in the eighth and ninth innings of games that really matter, who's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment the Nats have been forced to put some guys in those sort of spots who have never been there before. Well, go get one or two who have been there before, and I think it changes the dynamic a lot. So those are the kind of names that I'm looking at, to be honest, over the next few weeks.
1: Could you actually see them picking up two of those type of guys, like Hand and shack or Mattson and shack?
11: Yeah, I I could. Uh, And, again, because the price for those should be, we'll see. It it should be a little lower, and you're not having to, to raid your entire farm system. Um, In a perfect world, yeah, you'd love to get two of them, especially if you're not getting a true closer. But I've been saying all along, it's going to require a couple of acquisitions from the outside. It's going to require one or two guys probably getting called up from the minors, whether it's Eric Fetty, uh, Wander Suero, who's had great numbers at AAA, uh, even Francisco Rodriguez, who they've recently signed. I don't think they're counting on that, but you never know. And then on top of all that, it is going to require a couple guys from the current ten stepping up and being able to be part of that group because you can't overhaul an entire bullpen in midseason. It's going to have to be a combination of all those things.
1: Hey, Mark, there's an old expression when talking about soldiers in war to keep your powder dry. Is uh, is Dusty Baker a great example of keeping your powder dry? He stayed pretty calm, cool, and collected with the, with the fact that he probably got undervalued contract when he signed on and he's not been shown a tremendous amount of respect by ownership in rushing to get it done but yet he's he's quietly doing a great job and I think his relationship with Mike Rizzo is probably pretty strong isn't it
11: yeah it absolutely is and um it's it's unfortunate that this is still lingering out there because common sense would say that that this should have been taken care of a while back but the learners I think we've seen over the years, um, they're not going to make that type of move until they feel like they absolutely have to. They've been burned on a few things in the past. They've given managers extensions and it didn't work out and they had to eat the money. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of respect for Dusty Baker from Rizzo, from the learner family. I think everybody here agrees that barring some kind of major collapse or other unforeseen circumstance, that he's going to be back next year, but they're not going to rush to make that move until they feel like they have to. Um, and credit to Duffy that he has not made a big public stink about this. You know deep down he wants this done. But I think he's also at a different point in his life now than he has been in the past. He knew that before this came around, he may not get another major league managing job. And this sort of fell into his lap in a way when things with Bud Black fell apart. And so uh, I think he's really enjoying this. He really wants to get over that hump. He's not thinking about next year. He wants to win the World Series now because he knows that's the the one thing on his resume that he's still lacking. And um, if it doesn't happen this year, I think he's going to want to come back and give it another shot. And I I think in the end they will find a way to make that
2: happen. Mark, one last question. I know, and then you got to run. I know because you're getting close to, you know, with Dusty's presser and everything. Uh, with Strauss going today against Tehran, and then – Tomorrow, when this series first started, it was a TBA because Tanner Roark got skipped uh, with the one rain out. Uh, does Joe Ross pitch tomorrow, or what happens? I think
11: probably. I think
2: they were leaving that open to see what would happen, especially with the, the rain the last few
11: days, that they wanted to leave that as an option. It was interesting. It kind of got overlooked last night because there was so much else going on. But at one point late in that game, Tanner Rorick was actually warming up in the bullpen. Yeah. And that said to me, okay, they're looking at him out of there for the rest of the weekend, which means that probably Joe Ross gets to start on Sunday. Uh, We'll see. We hopefully will have an answer here soon uh, this afternoon. But I think the way Joe has pitched, he's earned it. I think it's not the worst thing in the world for Tanner to maybe take a breather, uh, try to go into the all-star break and just get away from it all and not try to overthink what's been going on with him because it's been agonizing to him. He's trying to search for answers of why. Uh, he has just not been anything like his usual self this year. So maybe a little break isn't the worst thing there. But um, my guess is it'll be Joe, but uh, I suspect that we will find out here shortly.
1: All right. Any shot that there's going to be an umbrella giveaway today at the game? <laughs> <laughs>
11: if there are, the, the uh, members of the front office may want to stay away from fans because of the road to be used as weapons against them.
1: <laughs> but they're worth free soda and ice cream. Uh Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Always appreciate your time. You do a super job. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. All right. There you have it, Mark Zuckerman of the <laughs> Madison Sports <laughs> it, it was like Carrie and his partner last night sitting in the booth. <laughs> no no
2: or two nights ago, sitting in the booth, no rain, and they're holding their umbrellas up. It was hilarious. <laughs>
1: That's classic. That's classic.
2: Uh
0: the Orioles lineup is out. Hold on. We've got we got a something important from Bonza Tufa. Well, I don't know about that, but I was actually reading an article and Joe Simpson and Chip Carey were absolutely blasting the oh yeah. on the broadcast. They completely accused them of gamesmanship and manipulation and they said that the MLB should look into this. So, I mean, that's a, that's a very declarative statement to say yeah. on air.
2: Yeah, and I, and I don't think there's any question. There was some gamesmanship going on there. And I think that Major League Baseball probably should look into what, it. What's the game? Well, I, the games-
1: gamesmanship implies that you're trying to gain an advantage. You'd gain I'm an ta- advantage in that they didn't want to lose Gio
2: and have to, you know, if if all of a sudden the rain does come, okay. then you lose Gio. Okay. Okay. And, and, of course, but the Braves lose their starter, too, you know, if exactly. there's a lengthy delay oh, yeah, yeah. and yeah. they didn't want to have to turn it over to the bullpen. All right. Uh we're going to take
1: a final timeout. Oh, you got the no, Orioles roster. Well,
2: uh, the Nats game against the Braves is a 4:05 start right. today. The Orioles game against the Twins 2-10. is 2:10. Joey Rickard leads off, and he'll uh, uh, be in uh, left field today. Machado is uh, the third baseman. Scope the second baseman. Adam Jones in center field. Trumbo's your DH. Mancini at first. Castillo's the catcher. Giovitella. Shortstop? No, no, no. At uh, at second base. So and, scope and so is scope, short. Scope is playing shortstop okay. today, and Gentry will be in the outfield playing right field.
1: That, kind of, I have to admit that kind of does it for me. <laughs> I mean, it just it takes away the getting Gia Vitella in the lineup. Uh, anyway, yeah. all right, What are you going to do? I would have much. I just assumed. Never mind. Never mind. That's an interesting lineup, though, with the big move being Jonathan Scope. We're taking a look at him at
0: shortstop. Talk about it after the break.
1: We'll do that. Thank you, Bonza. We'll be right back.
6: it's summer which means you're driving somewhere it might be ocean city maybe wildwood or the outer banks wherever it is you're driving there and you haven't driven that far in a while so you need to go to full circle tire and auto first 1304 governor's court unit 110 in abingdon because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check plus the best prices on tires in town and 79.95 ac services all summer long don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle go to full circle Tyron Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, or visit FullCircleTyronAuto.com to find out more.
0: Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've been been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. At Every Monday night. Yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah. And when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336.
4: Yes, yeah, so Section 336.
0: Section 336.
4: That's where we are. Just lie to him. Press box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section336.com. Baltimore,
8: it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20 and kids get in free. Visit cspgolf.com to learn more today.
6: Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay
4: wrestling no, no, podcast. No, no,
0: no, no, Don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That mm. means it is the best well, wrestling yeah, that's, podcast. That's Look, just,
4: just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not
11: mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to
6: jobbing out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and A.J. Francis of the Washington Redskins. He's Every week, we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com.
4: Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting IronBirdsBaseball.com. Your summer starts now.
1: And we're back to uh, close things out on the battle round. Uh, Wade Miley starting that game for uh, the Orioles against Adalberto Mejia who was picked up by the Twins last season in the Edwin Nunez deal. They got a couple good players in that deal. And he's starting a left-hander for the uh, Twins today. And, by the way, it was the Twins who won the Bartolo Colon sweepstakes and have signed Bartolo. I think he's going to get a game or two in at Rochester real quick. But I expect uh, by about the 20th of July that Bartolo Colon may be uh, a member of um, a contending Minnesota Twins team. Could
2: very well be, and uh, you never know what he's got left in the tank, but uh, certainly a a guy
1: with a veteran track record and a guy who's been there before and can get it done. I, I love the guy, but seriously, at 44, if he wants to continue his career in any meaningful way, drop 40, you know, I'm not saying drop 100 pounds, which he could stand to do, but drop 30 or 40. I mean, he really looks really uh, way 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 out of shape. Well, but and that's coming from a guy who is way 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 out of, way out of no, shape. No, I'm yeah. way way out of shape. Okay. He is
2: way 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 out of shape. Well, I wouldn't go that. But yeah, but he throws the baseball better than you
1: do. And he sure does. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. That's like the
2: old, you know, thing about lefties. If you if you're a left-hander, you can pitch till you're 50. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll tell you one thing is I, I really wish if one move could be reversed. And made by the Orioles, it would be the decision to not pay Bartolo Colon 20 or 21 million and sign him for two years, when the Orioles signed Ubaldo for four years at 50 million dollars. Well, that, that was a, that, but that's that was all hindsight. Mis- too. That was a mistake with a capital M for an organization that sort of almost prides itself on being frugal with pitching, starting pitching. Giving a four-year contract to a suspect guy versus two years to a guy who was less suspect and shorter term just doesn't make any sense. Didn't well, make sense to me then. It was a first guess, not a second guess. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, you're, what are you doing during the All-Star break? I am going to the Eastern Shore, visit some friends, hang out at the beach a little bit. And might talk to Preston. And Palmeira.
2: might stop by the Shorebirds game because they're home next week. So we'll see whether or not we can go down. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've talked to Preston because the last time I talked to Preston, of course, Dad he was, was probably here. about twelve years old. Yeah, but <laughs> and running around and him and Pre- him and uh, Patrick, yeah, uh, chasing Dad around the field. Uh, now is Patrick a player too? Yeah, absolutely. Is he a prospect? Uh, he was with the Cubs organization at okay. one point. I don't know whether he still is. All right. Bonzo, what are you doing for the
0: break? Well, I was going to ask you. Uh, well, I'm not going to do much. You can I'm, have
1: the next six days off.
0: Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, are you going to watch he only the home? Works r- one day. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Are you going to watch the home run derby? Because you know been that's an interesting. Up. I have very little interest. It, in, although Chris Berman won't be doing but,
2: it. Well, that's true. But here's here's the interesting thing about the home run derby this year, and that's the fact that you got Aaron Judge, you got Sanchez. And, you, have, and, Sunow, and, and you, also have, you also have the, the winner last year, the defending champ, That's John Stan- Carlos Stanton, yeah. going home to take part at, at Marlins Park. Now, that brings you to the other interesting thing, which is Bryce Harper, who said, no, not doing the Derby, not doing the Derby. He's going to be hard-pressed to do that Derby next year with the game being down in Washington.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. He doesn't seem one way or the other like he would care about that. Well,
2: you know, you when, he, when might, he did it think before. think he might relent. He, he almost or. won it. Yeah. yeah, he almost won it, but I, I think he'll relent and do it next year. But the one thing, I, I don't know what his father's health is like anymore, but the first time he did it, you know, his dad he threw him, through, the, through threw, the, threw all the pitches to yeah. him. Yeah, oh. So uh, that would be interesting for Bryce if he were able to take part next year.
1: All right, I've been remiss at uh, reminding you folks that 10 to 12 tomorrow at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You can listen to the Fantasy and Reality Show with Ken Zales and Sarita Hubbard, uh, the show that gets you primed and ready for fantasy football season throughout the year. And you can also watch that program on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Glenn Clark, the same thing, Monday through Friday. He and Kyle Ottenheimer will be doing the show, and we appreciate your listenership. Also, Section 336, part of the Press Box podcast. Tomorrow on Inside Press Box on WMAR, 1030 in the morning, we will have John Eisenberg talking about the book, The Streak. Lou Garrett, Cal Ripken, Jr., in the pursuit of uh, baseball's most historic record. We'll also have on Johns Hopkins University football coach Jim Margraff, and the new executive director of the Babe Ruth Museum and birthplace, Sean Hearn. So we hope you'll watch that as well. Craig Heist, thank you very much. Bonzatufa, Tufa, thank you guys. Have a great all-star break. And remember, I'll be on after the O's game today at facebook.com slash Charles for my O's post-game chat on Facebook Live. We'll see you later.